Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. I want to talk to you this morning about honor. And if you're reading in the book, um, if you've bought it, if you haven't bought it and you want to buy it, Gospel Lighthouse has it. And so go down, get another copy, or not another copy, I guess if you don't have it, but get a copy. Continue to read or begin to read it. We're in chapter, right now, I'm speaking from chapter 10 and 11. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 14. Jesus telling a parable, he says this in verse 7. When he noticed how the guests had picked their places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I do a lot of weddings and when you always see the seating plan, you kind of see where everybody sits. And I went through a rehearsal on Friday night for a couple, and they were getting married, obviously. And one of the groomsmen, he made this joke. It was, it was funny, but uncalled for, which is probably why it was funny. And he was at the very end line of the groomsmen. So me being the guy that I am, I leaned over the groomsmen and the groom, and I just kind of said, I'm guessing that's why he's at the end of the line. And it's interesting because we sometimes we read into much about lines and we read into too much about where our place is and we think we deserve to be somewhere and we are prideful. I remember in high school, we, I played rugby a lot and we ended up getting our game bumped up. We were traveling to another town to play another high school and all of a sudden our coach said, hey guys, we're not leaving at this time, we're leaving at this time. And we kind of looked at the coach, we're like, why are we leaving so early? Well, I just got a phone call from their school, and they're having a buyout. I don't think you guys, do you still do buyouts in high school? Yeah? So all their students bought out so they could get out of class and come and watch the game, and this was the coach's word to our coach. Because we have the team that's going to win the championship this year. So we want our high school to see them. See, we won the championship the year before. So we kind of took that as a little bit of a jab. So we showed up and... At halftime, it was 25 nothing for us. I don't even remember what the final score was. It was a lot to a little. And so when I read these things, I always think, I'm a sports guy, so I think sports-wise. And a lot of times when you see somebody who prides themselves up, it's always interesting to watch sometimes how they just kind of... Anybody thinking of Jose Batista... Right? He was, and I'm not picking on him. I, I am a bit, I guess. But he said how much he was worth. And at that moment in his career, for what he had done, he was probably right. 
And then the very next season, everything just started dropping to the point where really nobody really wanted them. And I think there's times in our lives where we have to stay humble. Because I don't know about you, but it is better for me to humble myself than for the Lord to humble me. Because hopefully I can do it privately, but sometimes the Lord does it publicly. Chris Ballatin, he says on page 124 of his book, he says, The principle of honor is demonstrated every time we worship. This morning, when you worshiped, we don't worship because, we don't worship God because he needs our encouragement or anything else from us. Even though he deserves praise and worship, we worship him out of honor and offer praise that really he doesn't need. The moment you come to church and the moment you think, I'm going to worship God to bless him, he doesn't need it. He appreciates it, he receives it, but we do it because of who he is, not because of what we can get. Honor is never demanded. Honor is shown out of what we do more than what we say. Isaiah says this in 29, 13. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So honor flows from our hearts to the Lord. We worship him because of who he is. Please don't ever hold back your spirit from worshiping him because of a human feeling that if you worshiped him in a way that it would be wrong. Because that's what he's talking about here. We, they worship out of human, what is taught by man. When your spirit wants to worship the Lord, worship him freely. When we honor for personal gain, we have to be careful. At the beginning of this, I'm just going to read some quotes from Chris Valentin's book. Because it's, they're very strong, very powerful. And I believe they'll teach you this morning. Because he says on page 125, when we honor in an order to gain influence, it ceases to be honor. Honor must be in our hearts first, and it must be given freely. When we carry honor in our hearts, people can feel it, and their respect grows. I don't know about you, if you've ever been in a position of honor, when somebody is honoring you, but you can tell something just doesn't feel right, and you realize, I don't know if they're honoring or if they're just sucking up. And there's a difference, right? When people are honoring you because they think they can get something. Anybody have a friend that's a police officer? Anybody honor them a little extra, hoping that you can speed in areas that you weren't able to speed in before? Do we truly honor them or are we just hoping for a free ticket? We live in Stratford. Do we honor people hoping to get tickets to the theater? Or do we honor them because we honor them for who they are? Mark 9, 35 says, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. The disciples argued, Who was the better person? Who should sit closest? Who should be the one? No one was there to wash the feet 
And as they went around the table, they were saying, I'm not washing yours, you should wash mine. Can you imagine this morning if I pointed at some of you right now, some of you men, I was like, uh, can you come wash my feet? And then Jesus got up and he went around and washed everybody's feet. Think about how humbling that would be. You sit there with Jesus, the son of God, and you're telling all your buddies, no, no, Carlo, you wash my feet. No, Alex should. And see, we go around the room and then all of a sudden Jesus comes in and goes, don't worry about it, guys. I'll wash your feet. We are called to serve. We are called to honor one another. Page 123, Chris Alton says, Honor is humility in action. It is a matter of the heart and requires an honest assessment of the value of the other people and a choice to focus on that above ourselves. Arrogance isn't thinking too much of ourselves, but thinking too little of others. We've shared the quote throughout this series that humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. So the flip side of that is arrogance isn't thinking too much of ourselves, but thinking too little of others. For me, this is a good way to understand the difference between arrogance and confidence. See, I think somebody who's confident if they say, I am good at this. Some of you in the room, you might be very good business women or businessmen. That's confidence. Some of you in the room, you might be a good athlete, and that's confidence. But the moment, the moment I say, I'm a pretty good baseball player, I think that's confidence. The moment I say, I'm better than anybody else on my team. See, you already know. You can hear it. Oh, he thinks he's a good ball player. Okay. He thinks he's better than everybody else on his team? There's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Confidence is believing in yourself and believing that God has called you to do something and, and giving you gifts to do it. Arrogance is thinking you're better than other people. And when we're arrogant, it shows. It comes across. So how do we show honor? Number one is honor expresses value in others. See, as a church, too often we are known for wanting to change people. Now, some of you are like, well, Chad, we're supposed to share the gospel. There's a difference between sharing the gospel and trying to change people. See, some people don't like the church because they believe that we think we're better than them and we just need to fix them. Well, see, God never called me to fix somebody. He called me to love people. And when I love people, I show them a self-worth. When I think I'm better than them and I need to fix them, they don't believe in self-worth. They don't think that I believe in them and that I honor them and give them a worth in their life. My motivation, your motivation, needs to be loving people and showing them the love of Christ that will lead them to a relationship with Christ, not to change their life. 
when you're willing to walk with them through it all instead of just telling them what they need to do and what they should do because this is what's wrong with their life. I don't know about you, but I don't like people talking to me that way. But somebody to come alongside and encourage me and to walk with me, that's what I need in my heart and in my life. So do we love our neighbors out of honor since they too were created in the image of God? Just like us. See, there's not a miraculous thing that happens that when you accept Christ into your heart that all of a sudden now you were created in his image. Whether you're serving him or not, we're created in his image. And so do we honor them because of who created them? Or do we honor people if they have the same beliefs as us? 1 Timothy chapter five, or chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as he were your father. Treat younger men as your brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Can you imagine if we begin to honor people in this way, how it would change our whole country? Think about how it would change your home. Husbands, if you spoke to your wife as if you would speak to your mother. Hopefully you have a good relationship with your mother. Wives, if you spoke to your husband as you would speak to your father, and again, hopefully you have a good relationship with your father. Or maybe, husbands, you speak to your wife the way you would speak to your daughter. And wives, you speak to your husband the way you'd speak to your son. If we respect one another as as family. A friend of mine, as I began into youth ministry years ago, I remember sitting in his office as a youth pastor and we were talking about a friend of ours who just fell morally and was removed from ministry. And he was a youth pastor and he made mistakes. And I sat with this guy and he said to me, I asked him because he was a youth pastor for years. And I said, "How how have you done it this far? And he said, I look at every girl in my youth group as my daughter. And he goes, by doing that, my mind is pure. Can you imagine, men, if every time you were on a computer or every time you were walking down the street or walking through the mall, every image that you saw, you imagine it was your daughter? How pure you would be. How innocent you would be. If we treat each other as family and speak to one another as we would to our own parents or to our own kids, it would change our homes. See, Chris Valentin points something out on page 118. He says, whenever we treat people honorably, even if they refuse to honor us, we demonstrate that we have a standard within us that isn't determined by the people around us. We can't be influenced by our environment. We don't just honor because they are honorable. We honor people because we are honorable. Honor, here's something clear for everybody. Because I think sometimes... As Christians, when we try to share Christ, when we become friends with non-believers, the biggest question I get is, Chad, how do I witness to people? How do I love people without showing approval? Honor 
doesn't mean we agree with people we are honoring. It simply means we value them as people who have been created in the image and likeness of God. See, I can love people and not agree. The problem in our society today is, and Phil Robinson says, if you ever watched Duck Dynasty, but he said it because he came under criticism. And he said this, in our society today, we have a misunderstanding that just because I disagree with you means we can't be friends. That's not true. Rightly, fence. We disagree, but we can still be friends. Even after we beat you last night. I know, you're way ahead in the standings. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. But it's true. When we think about sports, for some reason we think we could cheer for different teams and still be friends. Why can I not serve God and somebody not serve God and we still be friends? I can witness to people better because I just love them as people. And if we truly realize, too often you're concerned about showing, just lost the word, <laughs> approval, there you go, came back. You're too worried about showing approval than you are about loving people. I would rather people accuse me like they accuse Jesus of approval and being a drunkard and being a glutton. And being friends with sinners, these are all things Jesus was accused of. I would rather be accused of that than have no, no unbelieving friends. I would rather you see me walk into a building in town, I can say that because we don't have any really bad buildings in town, that I can walk into a place, and you might drive by and go, why is he going in there? But I hope you would go, he's got a friend in there that he's going to minister to. See, the reason we're afraid to go into places like that is because we judge people that go into places like that. I go into places like that because that's where my family is. I'm not speaking hypothetically, I mean my family. We honor people and we love them. So how can we discern between quickly understanding the difference between agreeing with something but still honoring he uses a great illustration in the book. If you've already read the chapters, he talks about POWs, prisoners of war. During a wartime, our, prison, our soldiers can be taken prisoner and we know that they are being tortured. We know that they are being killed. But the moment we have a report that our soldiers are doing that to our prisoners, I don't know about you, but many of us immediately go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't do this. And so we disagree with them, but we also disagree with them being punished. Because we know that we're honorable and we're supposed to live at a different life, a different standard. And so this is how we can still disagree with them and still realize, no, no, we're at war because of the disagreements, but we still respect you. And nobody should be treated that way. Point number two. Honor joins the generations. Malachi 4, 5 and 6, he says, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. 
He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. God has set up the family model from the beginning and since then Satan has tried to tear it apart. We're in a time right now with the largest fatherless generation. We were at conference and the guest speaker, I've never heard somebody explain it this way before and it was incredible and I'm going to paraphrase it and it's going to be not as good. But he talked for a moment about worship and he said years ago with the boomers and the builders, we sang songs about Jesus being our fortress and our strength because that's who they were. That's who the people were. They built stuff. But today with the fatherless generation, the shift in the songs to you are a good, good father, the shifts in the songs that are more emotional and relational are because the generation today doesn't have it. And so they're seeking it. So when you sing a song like Good, Good Father, he talked about when it's the first time it was sung in his church and it began in the verse and he thought to himself, he said he kind of dropped his head like he was praying, but he said, he's like, what is my worship leader singing? And then as they got to the chorus and sang, you are a good, good father. He said he quickly went, oh, she knows what she's doing. And he looked around the room and he saw the people in the room that he knew the situations in their lives where they didn't have a father. And they were weeping because they realized they have a father and they have a good, good father. And so the generation that we have today needs the older generation. Pastor Mark, who's been speaking at Festival of Praise this weekend, he was sharing how at his church they took four weeks to teach on prayer, but it was to teach the children. He had them in the main service. They didn't dismiss the kids. And for four weeks, they taught the children on how to pray. And he said about three or four weeks into it, an older couple got up and walked out. Because he was preaching to the kids again. But interestingly enough in the story, they didn't leave. They just sat in the lobby. And at the end of the teaching, he brought kids up. And he had them pray. And as they began to pray with childlike faith, the spirit of God began to move in the room so much that it moved into the lobby. And he says that older couple started to weep because they began to realize that they knew how to pray. But the kids didn't. And as the kids started to pray with faith, they began to hear the spirit of God speaking through them and begin to understand He does something in the book that I actually want to do for a moment. He says that for years at their church, and it's been the same in any church, that words have been spoken that the next revival is going to come through the kids or the youth. And he does something in the book that I think actually needs to be stated, and I'm going to say it. He apologizes for it. Because unconsciously, I don't think intentionally, by doing that, we've eliminated the older generation. We don't verbalize it, but by leaving you out of the statement, it's been said without saying. 
And that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Peter, in Acts 2, he quotes Joel and he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision and your old men will dream dreams. See, I believe that revival happens when every generation honors each other. I don't stand here this morning without men and women of God that have gone before me that I can stand on the shoulders of. The movement that we're seeing here at Bethel is happening because of the older generation that prayed and invested for years. And I'll tell you something, Men, has it ever moved my heart when I have some of the older generation in the room come up to me and tell me with tears coming down their face, this is what we've been praying for for years. I know it may not look the way you thought it would look, but the move of God is happening. And you prayed for it. See, God moves in ways that we don't imagine and the last thing is ever on our heart as leadership is that we put God in a box. I never want to put him in a box. When he decides to move, I just want to make sure I'm not in the way. And that's why some mornings you'll see us as as leadership either standing here quietly or standing over there whispering to each other. Because what we're asking is, what are you sensing? What are you feeling? Or we're standing here, I stand here quiet. Because I'm not 100% sure what God wants to do, but I don't want to do something that he doesn't want to do. And we do these things because of everybody together. On page 122, he says this, True fathers honor their sons and desire to see their sons prosper and outgrow them. And on page 132, he says This last day's revival will be founded in both the natural and spiritual family. In the days that we're in right now, we need everyone. We need every one of you. We need to honor each other because we can't do this alone. The interesting thing is this isn't about you or me. It's about honoring each other and holding more value on the other person. Holding more value on the person who does not know Jesus to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. Do I honor the non-believer over myself when it comes to church? Do I honor reaching them more than filling myself? Because see, as a mature person, I, st- I don't wait for my mom to come and cook supper. As a mature person, we feed ourselves, correct? I see moms of teenagers going, well. <laughs> Spiritually, we feed ourselves. I hope you do. Which means we feed ourselves so we can feed others. To do this, we need to value each other. For revival to happen, 
we need to be able to look through this room and realize we need each and every one of us. Because I believe everybody in this room wants revival to happen. And it is happening. When I hear stories of revival and people tell me there's a revival happening here and I'm like, well, how do they know it's a revival? And they begin to tell me one or two people are getting saved every Sunday. It made me go, oh, that's cool. Wait a minute. That's what's happening here. So if you ask why, Chad, do you ask somebody... Give somebody a chance to give their heart to the Lord every Sunday is because, well, I'm foolish enough to believe that somebody's going to. So let's close our eyes and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your presence just to move in this place, for the sweetness, Lord. Father, how you set people free this morning. And Lord, I remind and encourage them just to leave it here and walk out free. Lord, help us as we honor one another. Help us to speak life to one another. Lord, help me to continue to put people first over myself. Help me with my selfishness, Lord. Help us to love our neighbors, Father, without fear of approval. Help us, Lord, to be that light and that witness to you. Father, bless us and keep us strong this morning. Help us, Father, as we go to work. Let us be a light. Let us be found back here tonight, Lord. Move in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you. And that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 